0: You have your Bible. Would you take it out, please? If you <clears throat> don't have one. There's there are a few Bibles, uh, and I trust that you will avail yourself of one. I'm going to do something this morning that I don't often do. Uh, I want you to follow along and let me read four passages from each of the four, each of the four Gospels don't usually do that, you just take one text and work from that, and I'm going to get to that one text in just a few moments, but the same story is repeated in each of the Gospels, <clears throat> and not all of the details are in any one place, so I want to read all four of those in your hearing and ask you to look with me at your Bible, in them. I hope you folks will bring your Bible to church. Uh, I know most of us have electronic gadgets. Uh, and most of those who do have electronic gadgets probably have a Bible app on it. But you know, if you're looking at a uh, something you're holding in your hand like this, the person on the row behind you may think you're looking for NC State's football score yesterday. Uh, so bring your Bible. This is church, folks, uh, and and uh, it behooves us to have a Bible with us so that we can follow along and read God's Word together. So I'd like for I'd like to ask you to turn with first of all to Matthew 26. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 26. This is a familiar story. After reading these passages, I want to try to bring elements of the story from each of them together uh, in my message this morning. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper. Now, notice, please, the home that he was in. He was in Bethany. But he was at the home of Simon the leper. Uh, continuing, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it out upon his head as he reclined at the table. The disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother this woman? She hath done me a good deed for the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And then would you notice, please, verse 13. Truly I say unto you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman hath done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be spoken of. Turn with you, please, to Mark chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14, beginning at verse 3. Mark 14, verse 3. And when he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. The poor you always have with you. You wish you can do them good, but you do not always have me. She hath done what she could. She hath anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Again, truly I say to you that wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman hath done shall be spoken of in memory of her. Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered into a certain village, that's Bethany, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Notice it says her home. That'll come up again in a moment. And she had a sister called Mary, who, moreover, was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him, that is to, and said, Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me to do all serving alone? Tell her to help me. Can't you hear that? Tell her to come and help me, Lord! But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one, for Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Turn with me please, John 11, John 11, verses 1 and 2, John 11, verses 1 and 2, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And then if you'll just turn over one page to John 12, and that is my text for this morning. Different details in all of these sections that we have read. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father and our God, we open your word this morning. May forever until Jesus comes, the Bible be the heart of everything that is done at Wake Chapel Church. Thank You for Your Word. The psalmist said it was a design as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we live in a dark world, Lord. We need that lamp and that light. May the Spirit of God be our teacher this morning. We thank You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The family of Martha Mary and Lazarus is one of the most fascinating homes in all the pages of the Bible. According to Luke ten, and we've read these things, and I will simply refer to some of them. But according to Luke ten, verse thirty-eight, the home in Bethany seems actually to have belonged to Martha. Uh, that seems and may indicate that she was a widow. With her lived Mary, her unmarried sister, and Lazarus her bachelor brother. The family was comfortable. The family was well thought of in the community, as indicated by the number of mourners who came at Lazarus' death. Perhaps the family was somewhat affluent, judging by the costliness of the perfume discussed in the 12th chapter of John. The home was always at the disposal of Jesus. It seems, if you read through the New Testament, he enjoyed being there. He loved those three people who resided in that home. With the notable exception of Lazarus' death and subsequent restoration to life, every time we encountered this family, the sisters seemed prominent. Did you notice that when we read it? Someone even questioned, since the home was so important, since Jesus was welcome there always, since Martha and Mary were so memorable, why is it that Lazarus doesn't have more to say? Some wag answered that question by saying he did not say anything because he had two sisters and could never get a word in edgewise. Well, I never had the privilege of having a sister, so I don't know how this is. Maybe there's some truth to it. I don't know. Martha was a busy one. She had a practical bent of mind. In Luke 10, for the meal there, Martha was consumed with preparing food while Mary sat at Jesus' feet. That much, almost every child of God knows. Martha was busy with the food. Mary was seated at Jesus' feet. I don't know, and I I take it from Scripture that uh, Martha didn't always like that. That's why she said to Jesus, tell her to come and help me. But Jesus never chided Martha for her practicality. After all, Jesus worked at a carpenter's bench. So, the practicality of this woman was fine with him. Martha's work as a hostess was both necessary and appreciated. Jesus, however, did say, and I don't think he was chiding her necessarily, but Jesus did say, Mary had chosen the better part. If I have time, the lesson will come up again, but I'm going to mention it now. I believe that what we need to learn from Jesus' words... Mary had chosen the better part. I believe the lesson was this, that the spiritual always, in the mind of our Lord, precedes the temporal. The spiritual precedes the temporal. More later, if we have time. Whereas Martha had a practical bent of mind, Mary was more devotional. Three times, and we've read them, three times we find this woman at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, she was there to learn. In John 11, she was there to weep and to be comforted. Third time is here in John 12, and again she is at Jesus' feet doing something that will be a memorial to her as long as the gospel is preached. One time a man was asked, which he liked better, Martha or Mary? His answer was, it depends on when supper time is. If it's before supper time, I like Martha. If it's after supper, Mary's fine. If you wanted a good dinner, you chose Martha's table. I don't know whether Mary liked the kitchen very much or not. I don't know that. Maybe she didn't. Like I say, I don't know. Her paramount interests were elsewhere, though. Whatever Martha said, whatever we might think, whatever might come to us out of the reading of the passages that we've read this morning, I don't know that Mary disliked the kitchen, but she said in her heart, I believe she was thinking there's something more important. Temporal things are important. Spiritual things are more important. Interesting thing to me also is that these women exhibited these characteristics wherever they were. They didn't change. Uh, Through all the history that we have in the New Testament, where you read about Martha, she's interested in a meal. She's interested in serving. Wherever you read about Mary, she's interested in being at the feet of Jesus. And they did that not just in their home in Bethany, but wherever they went, that was their interest. You see, in Matthew 26, we read this morning that the incident recorded there, incident recorded here in John chapter 12, took place not in the home of Martha. It took place in the home of Simon the leper, who also lived in Bethany. Apparently, Jesus had healed this man. And in gratitude for that, Simon invited Jesus and the disciples into his home for a meal. But observe... Who's preparing the meal? Who's serving? Martha. Wasn't her house, but she was still interested. She did that wherever she was. Who was at the feet of Jesus? Mary. Whenever she had the opportunity, that's where she was. She was at the feet of Jesus. That's the setting. It's in this home in Bethany. Martha is there preparing. Mary is there at the feet of Jesus. The thing that captures our attention and is most important, however, is what Mary did. Look at John 12 verse 3. John 12 verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. To me, this is one of the most, this is one of the most lovely acts recorded anywhere in scripture. They were all reclining at the table. End the verse 2 says that. Reclining at the table. Others with him. <clears throat> While they were doing that, Mary, I think, saw an opportunity to do something she wanted to do for a long time. I think Mary had pondered this for quite some time. How can I do this? And at an appropriate moment, she went and got this beautiful container made out of alabaster filled with 12 ounces of genuine spikenard, a perfumed anointing oil, but instead of taking just a few drops out of that container, she broke the container and expended all of it on the body of the Lord Jesus. One place we have read says she did; she put it on his head. Another place says that we're looking at here on his feet. But Jesus, I think, summed it all up. When, when he said, and we read his words, she poured it on my body. So there's no contradiction here at all. She took the most costly thing that she had and poured it on the Savior. All of its contents flowed down from his head, his beard, his body, even his feet. It was an expression of deep, personal love and devotion. Think about that. Can you smell the the fragrance? Put your mind in gear? Can you smell the fragrance that went through the house? John emphasizes the costliness of this gift in verse 3. John 12 verse 3. Mary therefore took this perfume. Costly perfume it says. And anointed the Savior's feet. Wiped His feet with her hair. One reason or the expense of this, and if you'll look this up, you can find the same thing I did when I looked it up in a Bible encyclopedia. One reason this was very expensive was that it had to be imported from India. And to protect it, it was sealed in alabaster jars. Mary took the very best that she had, the costliest thing in her possession, and joyfully gave it to the Lord. What a love for Jesus! She held nothing back. She would say, "I'll take the top off of this and take a few, uh, an ounce or two out and, and expend it on the Lord." She broke the whole thing. She gave it all—her costliest possession. She expended it on the Lord Jesus. What a lesson! What an example! Not only was her act one of... Great love. It was also one of deep devotion. But more than that, it was an act of great humility. Now, I say that because attending to the feet, according to oriental custom, was something only slaves did. She was doing for her Lord what in that society only slaves did. And then too, women in that day never under any circumstances let their hair down in public. That was forbidden that was not something that was ever done later the apostle paul would say that a woman's hair is her glory and so with her glory she wiped the savior's feet no sacrifice is too great if it's for him have we gotten the lesson no sacrifice is too great if it's for him that's mary she didn't care who was there she didn't care who was watching Social custom at this point in her life made absolutely no difference to her. And even Jewish tradition went out the window with this. Women in that day were not even supposed to be at the table with men. That was Jewish custom. Social custom, Jewish custom, who's there, none of it made any difference to this dear woman. How marvelous. I ask you again. Got your mind in gear this morning? Can you... Can you almost smell that fragrance from what this woman did? But would you notice, there's another side to the story. It comes from Judas and from the disciples. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the money box. And notice he was a treasure for the disciples. He had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put in it. Was Judas, as it sounds here at, at first, uh, truly compassionate? Was he deeply concerned about poor people? Was he a true philanthropist? Verse 6 says otherwise. He was not. He was a thief. As soon as he saw the alabaster vial. As soon as he smelled the fragrance, his mind jumped into gear. And he figured immediately, this is expensive. Why wasn't this so? 300 denarii. That was the average income for a working man in that day. For a whole year. And Judas is wanting that money, he says, for the poor. But he didn't. He was a thief. He wanted the money put in the box so he could take from it. no. Philanthropy going on here at all. No deep compassion for the poor. With Judas' treasure for Jesus and the disciples, no wonder they were always broke. He was siphoning off the money every day. And that's the way John expresses it in the original text every day. Regularly, he was stealing from them. You know, folks. <clears throat> this this whole thing, these four passages and then the, the 12th chapter, it just been under my skin for two weeks. Another lesson, other than the spiritual supersedes the temporal, another lesson is this. People can outwardly appear very close to the Lord and be very far from Him. Was there anybody any closer to the Lord than Judas? For a long time, no. Was he really close to the Lord? He was as far as He could get from him, And yet, there are folks today who can appear very close to the Lord, go to church, take an active part, and yet in reality, be very far from the Lord. Judas was like that. He thought Mary's great deed of love for her Savior was nothing more than foolishness. Nonsense. A waste! But Mary was vindicated. Verses seven and eight. Jesus therefore said, Let her alone. One expositor said John twelve seven is a polite way of telling Jews to shut up. I'm not sure about that, but that was his feeling. Jesus therefore said, Let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my birth. Two things to notice in verse eight, please. The poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. Again, spiritual over temporal. (coughs) May I add here, no one that I know of takes any pleasure in poverty. And as a church and as individuals, we ought to do everything that we can do to alleviate poverty. To fail to do so is uh, is a tragic mistake. But there's another side to this. It's a mistake to think that poverty can be eliminated in this age. It cannot. Jesus says so. The poor you always have. Now, we shouldn't say that casually. We shouldn't say that with a hard heart and therefore do nothing. We must do everything that we can to help those who have great needs. We must do what we can do to alleviate poverty. But we should also do so knowingly. The poor. You always have you. Jesus said. Second, the words here are a striking claim to his preeminence. His preeminence over anyone and anything else. But there are reactions other than that of Judas and the disciples. Verse 9 of John 12. A great multitude, therefore the Jews learned he was there. That is uh, they they learned Jesus was there, but they learned that Lazarus was there. That's what he says next. But they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. He was a source of curiosity. I mean, you can imagine that. People knew that he died, and then they heard about him living. A great source of curiosity. And many came. But the chief priest, verse 10, took counsel so that it might put Lazarus to death also. He died. He was resurrected. The chief priests wanted to put him to death again. Why? Because on account of him... Many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's how a number of folks responded to Mary's act of humility and love and devotion. How do we react to this story? How do we react? How do we evaluate what Mary did? You know, if our, our actions can be evaluated, or people's actions can be evaluated in a lot of different ways. A soldier's actions are evaluated by his obedience and submission to his duty. In business, actions are evaluated by utility. That is, will this produce for me a legitimate profit? Mary's act was not to be evaluated by duty. It was not her duty to do what she did. She did it because she loved. Nor was her act to be evaluated by utility or from a purely business standpoint, It was a waste. Mary's actions are to be evaluated according to love. Her love for the Master. And her love caused her to give the most costly possession that she had to Him. Jesus said she did that which was good. That's the vindication and that's the evaluation of this woman's magnanimous gift of love. Our deeds today, our service, any dedication that we might have are not to be guided by duty or by utility. They are to be measured by love. May I ask a personal question? Are we keeping to ourselves that which we could out of a heart of love give to Jesus? You know, Mary could have waited. She could have been like others who had perhaps... A perfume or nard or whatever and anointed Jesus after he died. But she didn't wait. She gave it to the Lord. What do you cherish most? and What are you doing with that which you cherish the most? Pray with me. Our Father, we all have much. And while some here within the sound of my voice may not think so, if that were compared to those refugees across Europe or coming to our country from another country, we have much. I believe, our Father, that you ask of us, what are you doing with it? Do you have it in investments? Is it part of your stock portfolio? Are you holding it? And we need to ask of ourselves the question, is there an extravagance to our love for Jesus? And we need to be mindful of Mary. Thank you for her example. Seal the truth of her life to our hearts and help us to think of where we are and what we're doing with what we have for the Savior who bought us, loves us, and whom we love. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Our hymn of appeal this morning is 379 in your hymnal. Number 379. Folks, would you allow me another word before you begin putting things away? If you don't put it away now, it'll be there in a couple of minutes. To love Jesus, we have to know Him. I wonder this morning if there's somebody within the sound of my voice that has never trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. My dear friend, He loves you more than anybody that you know or have ever known or ever will know. He loves you that much. He went to Calvary's cross for you. If you had been the only person who ever lived, Jesus would have died for you. And He bids you, come to me. Come to me. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will make of you a new person. And when all of this life is over, I'll take you home and be with me in heaven. If you died today, listen to me. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? You say, well, I'm in pretty good health. My last report from the doctor is pretty good. Blood pressure's down. Whatever. 52 year old man raised son in law. Gone in an instant. No lingering. No long drawn out hospital stay. No hospice involved. Take one breath and never take the next one. If that happened to you, where would you spend eternity? This is church, folks. We need to be serious about this. Don't put it off. We don't have tomorrow. We don't have the next minute. An aneurysm could take you or me before we utter the next word, before we we draw the next breath. Where then will you be? God help us. Jesus died because he loved us. And in him we can have forgiveness of our sins. In him we can be made whole. In him we can have heaven. Personally. Right now. You answer the question. Not verbally, not to me. But you answer the question in your own heart. Jesus knows. You died the day when you go to heaven. May God speak His truth to our hearts. Would you stand with me, please? David, let's sing. Richard, our deacon today, will you come and lead us in prayer? Then we'll sing, God be with you until we meet again. Don't forget, please be praying about homecoming next week. It's, it's a wonderful time in the life of our church. Uh, a time when we can be reminded of uh, back as far as 1856 when this church was started. God's hand of goodness is rested upon this church. Uh, No man can take credit for it. No pastor, no deacon, no trustee. And often I hear, my granddaddy was a member of this church. Yeah, great. But thank God for the church, not your granddaddy. Okay? I don't mean to put your granddaddy down. Forgive me. Don't be mad with me. Okay? But God has had His hand of goodness upon this church. And we want to celebrate that with a homecoming next week. Pray. That God gives a sweet time of fellowship and recall and remembrance about the church. So we're going to pray and then we're going to sing, God be with you till we meet again, and then we'll go our way. Richard?
1: Lord, I need thee every hour, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If I may, I would like to uh, share with you a thought to ponder for the upcoming week. Last Sunday morning, our awesome choir sang one of my favorite hymns. And it is probably one of yours as well, Because We Believe. And I sat out there in the pew while we were singing this, and I was so engrossed in wanting to be close to the Lord that I can honestly say that there were a lot of words that I had to wait till I got home to let them sink in. And I'd like to share that with you this morning. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We are the church and we stand as one. We believe in the Holy Bible. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe in the resurrection, that Christ one day will return to earth. Holy, holy, holy is our God. Worthy, worthy, worthy is our King. All glory and honor are His to receive. To Jesus we sing because we believe. Amen. Pray with me if you would, please. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, we humble ourselves before you. We praise you and we thank you. For meeting with us this, this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts in a way that draws closer to you. You are our God. You are the master of the universe. And thank you for allowing us to be your children. And Father, we pray this morning for all our, (coughs) all the folks listed in our bulletin this morning. And there are so many who are hurting physically and emotionally. We pray for all in our church family that are facing difficulties. Father, we also pray for the flood of refugees from the Middle East into Europe. We we pray for the peace of God to fall upon Israel, the Jewish people, and her neighbors. And Lord, we lift up our mission of the week, Baptist Mid-Missions, for John Wilburn, who has served the people in Australia from 2007 through 2013. John is now trying to obtain a permanent visa so as to continue to serve there. We pray your blessing upon him and his ministry. And Lord, as we depart here this morning, we ask that you would be with us, that you would help us to navigate a sin-filled world. And to help us to focus, not on that which is earthly, but that which is eternal. And it's in your most precious name that we ask. Amen.